Welcome to the Good Life Central Oregon podcast, where we pursue the good life by helping you pursue yours. The good life begins with a roof over your head, so please contact our sponsors for this podcast, REMAX Revolution and Sisters. REMAX is the number one real estate company in the world, and REMAX Revolution offers new solutions for better results. Go to ilovecentraloregon.com to find out more. And here we are. I want to say uh, thank you, Hobbs, for inviting me to your layer of awesomeness with your, well, we've got the red lights on, but we've got the white overheads too. Uh, and uh, and your beloved uh, Susanna's taking pictures right now. Hopefully we, these will end up on on your website. Absolutely. Everything is uh, everything is great. Thank you for having me. Welcome to the Red Room. Yeah. Uh, we got to get some pictures of this place too. Oh, yeah, to put on the website absolutely. and everything. Hey, babe, babe, could you uh, turn turn the light off, set the mood in here, and get get a little bit sexy with Jeremy over here? Yes, that's. Th- this is a family friendly show too. So, so sexy is a rock and roll term for awesome. For awesome. For awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So I mean, didn't that just go from not quite as sexy yeah, awesome to yeah, so we just turn more off, sexy awesome? Yeah, we just turn off the uh, white overhead lights, and now we've got your. Uh, red and some blue Christmas lights in here, but hey, Christmas is always an awesome, awesome thing when you got the lights up. Some people leave their lights up all year round. That's right. And they're just, they're just uh, on the edge of awesome. We decided that it was probably the best idea to just leave most of the red and orange ones in there. Although, by the way, I didn't know about the red room thing from 50, or maybe I did in my subconscious mind, and that's why I uh, called this place the red room. But uh, it is pretty cool but to learn that there is a an S and M parallel. But it's not the it's not the red room of pain. It's the red red room of awesome tunes. That's right, red room of pleasure. I love it, I love it. So, do you have anything you want to say uh, before we get uh, kicked off? Uh, you want to say to anyone out there listening? And granted, this is this is going out to uh, everyone in Central Oregon and and hopefully uh, hopefully beyond. But uh, you know the focus here on on the Good Life Central Oregon is is obviously just a just to uh, share the good times, the good living, the the love. And obviously, I'm very biased in this one. But I mean, sure. we've got music, we've got we've got aquatics. You know, because I'm a swimmer and a surfer and and just kind of lifelong waterman. But you know, I've become a musician in the past few years as well, and which is why you're here to kind of share the good living of of uh, music. Right on. Thanks. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, by the way, waterman, I like that. I, I, I would like to be able to consider myself a waterman one day. I came from the plains, so I'm. We'll strap afraid. on a speedo and come <laughs> swim with me tomorrow morning, man. <laughs> what time? Probably too early. <laughs> Probably five thirty. Is that five thirty? Too early. Rockstars don't get up at five thirty, oh, so, my oh, brother. That's true. That's true. <laughs> well, now, now you know what I am not. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe if I'm still awake, I'll, <laughs> I'll strap on a speed record. No, actually, what I want to say to uh, people, good people of Central Oregon, is you know, just uh, in celebration of the good life of Central Oregon, way to hang in there the last uh, five, five and a half, six years. I know it was it was it was tough for all of us. I know I graduated college right as that you know. Uh, um, right as the economy went down, yeah, right as things started getting Great time hard. to enter the workforce, huh? Yeah, yeah, it was tough. But, you know, everybody around here has weathered the storm and things seem to be picking back up. And, you know, now's, you know, the, the winter is, is somewhat over and it's time to start enjoying ourselves again, you know? And yeah. So, so nice job, all you folks who weathered the storm. Yeah, well, you know, there's a lot of people in this area that, that I've encountered that that work remotely, work from home, or have independent work schedules, which is kind of nice. And I, I can't say that we were recession-proof by any stretch of the imagination. There's a lot of people out there that had a, a lot of challenges, but uh, but it seemed like this area 
at, at least I can say this area is bouncing back pretty well, mm-hmm. especially looking at it from a real estate and economy side around here. Things are things are turning around quite well. Absolutely. You're starting yeah. to see the F, F-150s, F-250s with construction companies driving down the road again. Yeah. You know, so yeah. stuff's getting built. That's excellent. Yeah, right on. All right, so let's let's dig into the meat and bones of all this stuff. People want to know more about Hobbs the Man from Hobbs the Band. Um, you and I, uh, I guess a couple months ago now, you and I uh, had lunch at the brewery and, and just kind of talked about your story about about uh, how, you, how you got to be where you are today doing what you do. So I, I got to hear that story, but now it's time to share it with other people. Uh, it, you shared with me your introduction to music. It had a lot to do with your grandfather. And, and uh, how, how to, tell me again how all that came about. Where, where did your musical history begin? It's, well, I mean, it's always been sort of a fundamental part of my life. Uh, my my granddad's guy named John Hobbs, and he uh, so that's where I got my name is my mother's maiden name and his his last name, so I got it for a first name. And and uh, he was always a, a pretty talented country western guitarist. You know, he always listened to a lot of Marty Robbins. So you know, my, my earliest stuff is the the guitar player for Marty Robbins. You know, picking in the background to uh, El Paso and Big Iron and stuff like that. And, and he was a guitarist of some note, right? If Marty Robbins, then your grandfather. Oh, my granddad. Yeah, he was. I mean, in regionally, he was a guitarist of of uh, of well, somewhat of a large stature. You know, enough to leave a pretty big footprint uh, in my life. Uh, you know, he he was the first one to shove a guitar in my hand and first one to, you know, really encourage me. You know, when I played started playing trombone in the school band, he was always, you know, trying to, you know, convince me how much better the guitar was than the trombone, though I found that they're both pretty awesome. And so and, and so we we now have confirmation of the fact that trombone players in school turn out pretty cool. Oh, absolutely. You know, yes. absolutely. But only if they, they quit after marching season in 10th grade. And, and, and start playing guitar. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Pick, pick it back up. Yeah. Yeah. So if any of those, uh, if you're a trombone player uh, playing in in uh, elementary school or junior high or anything like that, and you're getting picked on by, by jocks, just tell them, hey, you just watch. That's you just right. watch. So I got a huge metal instrument in my hands. I'll hit you with it. <laughs> That's one way to look yeah. at it. Right or, or else, you know, you could just... Don't worry about it. Those people will be working for you one day. I know. Yeah. Or they'll be showing up to your concerts and and uh, paying Absolutely. quite a bit of money Forge- to, just to listen to you play. Forgetting about their boring wives <laughs> and uh, their day jobs and their children and diapers and getting out there watching hey, you. Hey, I, I resemble that remark. Yes, you do. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> well, you don't have a boring day job, though. You get to do. You get to. Uh, you know, you get to introduce people to the to the lifestyle of Central Oregon. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it, it it can be exciting, and and you know I've, I'm a dad of two great kids, and have an amazing wife, and and uh, you know I, I am trying to score some points with this uh, with this comment too, but it, you know, it's true. So I, I can uh, only pray and hope that other people get to share in, in the great families that I have. But but enough about me. Tell me more <laughs> about your music. So you, so you 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 began with the genesis of uh, of your music and guitar and trombone and your grandfather mm-hmm. and. How has that played out until now? Well, it's uh, it was pretty, you know, straightforward childhood. You know, I just took guitar lessons and I didn't practice enough, you know. And uh, then, as I said, I started playing trombone in the school band. And, 
you know, quit that when I was about 16. And the whole time I had, you know, been playing guitar and always had a, you know, pretty big fixation on guitar. It was certainly something that I'd always had a lot of attention on. And then when I was 17, uh, my granddad died. Um, and something about that time in my life, something about his passing, um, just lit a fire in me. And from that moment on, I just couldn't get enough of the guitar. I couldn't put it down. I, I just I wanted nothing more in this world than to be the best guitar player to ever walk on the planet. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's not something that, that, uh, I can really explain. It's just sort of something that came over me one day and hasn't ever really left. And, uh, and this was when you were 16, it was, uh, 17. I think I just turned 17 when, when my granddad died. Uh, and uh, I just feel like a part of his spirit just jumped into me and said, all right, you know, I never got to do this. Uh, you know, I, I had, he had, you know, certain responsibilities and, and hardships when he was, you know, a kid. He grew up in the Great Depression and stuff like that. So he didn't, you know, he had to do other things and get to chase a, a music career. You know, he had to manage uh, and work ranches and raise little children and, and stuff like that. So I'm really taking every advantage that I have of the uh, time I'm in right now and uh, the the circumstances I have to be able to chase my dream because there are a lot of people who don't get to do it. And that's kind of telling of the type of man your grandfather was too, if I can, you know, kind of extrapolate from that story is just, so he's busy working on ranches, which is not a nine to five job. He's busy raising kids, which is not a nine to five job. So each, each of those are 40 plus hours a week, but he still had time to play guitar or yeah. made, made time. Absolutely. It would be the key. He yeah. made time because I, I can only guess like you, like me, if, if you want it, you go get it. And it sounds like he went and got it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, it's interesting you say that because that was a huge part of what he tried to um, impart to me in terms of knowledge. You know, he, he, I, I still remember a story about uh, that my mother tells me is probably one of the most important things I've ever heard. You know, growing up in the in the panhandle uh, in ranch culture, um, the women typically didn't get to do all of the stuff that the men did horseback, especially on the ranch. And, and, um, one example of that is roping. You know, the women never really got to rope off a horseback or wasn't sort of culturally accepted. And, you know, my mom, when she was a little girl, she, you know, she wanted to be a cowboy when she grew up, not a cowgirl, but a cowboy. Mm -hmm. I guess that tells you something about sort of the, uh, uh the lineage the, yeah, from yeah. which you uh, spawn from, I guess. <laughs> and, and, and also sort of, uh, uh, gender roles at that point in time in, in, in the panhandle of Texas. And so she would always ask, I don't know how old she was, probably a teenager or something like that. She would always say, dad, teach me how to rope off horseback. Can I, can I rope off horseback? And he'd say, no, no, you can't, you can't do it. And, and, and she'd say, you know, let me do it. Let me do it. And said, no, no, let's, let's not. And then, you know, sometime would pass and she'd say it again. And, and after a while, he finally just got tired of her asking. He said, Nancy, if you'd wanted to do it bad enough, you'd already done it. And, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, that's, that was an amazing lesson. And, uh, that's, that's something that's always really stuck with me. And the truth of the matter is no matter what it is, if you want to do it bad enough, you'll do it. You know, you'll make the necessary sacrifices to do it. You know, that's if, if one thing, if your if your goal is to accomplish this one thing, if you have a primary driver, then nothing else really matters. And, and I have a lot of amazing things in my life and I'm really grateful for um, most everything that's ever happened to me. Well, I guess I actually, actually should say I'm grateful for everything that's ever happened to me because it's given me a lot of experience. Um, but if it's not useful in terms of helping me create, uh, 
uh, contribute to that primary driver, then I can live without it. Yeah. And, 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 and I've in the past couple of years learned to adopt that attitude, which is, you know, I've just kind of personally had a, a huge paradigm shift and it, and it was because of some of these challenges in my life at the time that, uh, I kind of expected things to happen a certain way and they didn't. And, and, uh, and as challenging as it was, the, the good that comes out of that is I realized, well, you know, if I want something, then I'm going to have to go after it and get it now. And, and I mean, there's a lot of good that comes out of these challenges. There's a lot of good that comes out of this economy that we just had. There's, and I, I hate to say it is still fresh, but it's hard for people to imagine what kind of good can come out of a, a tragedy or tornadoes or something like that. But given a long enough time, given enough perspective, given enough amount of faith, you'll see it. Absolutely. Yeah. You watch, uh, I mean, I, I guess it's kind of a cliche to make a Game of Thrones reference right now, but there's a, a pretty awesome series on HBO that's been mm-hmm. going the last couple of years, Game of Thrones. Have you, have you seen I have not seen it, but I I hear about it from everybody. Well, well it's awesome, and the writing is amazing. The, the whole show is just fantastic. But it, you remind me of something that there, there are a couple of characters, uh, Varys, who's a eunuch, and Littlefinger, who owns a bunch of brothels. They're talking about the state of, of the realm, and... Um, Varys the eunuch says, you know, we have everything I do is for the realm. And so we can, uh, so we can keep order because order is necessary for things to, uh, you know, to stay calm. And so life can, can move on. And I'm butchering this badly, but, and Littlefinger, the guy who owns the brothels says, says, um, that chaos, uh, the, the opposite of order is, is a ladder. I guess Varys had referred to it as a pit. Chaos as mm-hmm. a pit, but um, Littlefinger says chaos is a ladder. You know, that's those uh, those um, those moments. I think the Bush uh, administration uh, weighed heavily on that. There's you know, let no disaster go um, uncapitalized upon, and so that that's absolutely you're absolutely right. And the the, the economy of the last um, five years, the people who are going to make their fortune in the next twenty years have have already done it you know, have, have made their moves. And so it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. And and I think a lot of people were woken up to the fact that their steady jobs that they could count on suddenly just dropped out from underneath them. And, and, and as tough as that was, now they're coming out of it, hopefully people will become more resourceful. Absolutely. And, And I'm, and I'm certainly learning how to, I mean, you know, part of the reason why I'm sitting here hanging out with you is because, you know, I just want to, put good things into the world and if something good comes of it great hooray for our team you right know, kind of looking for that win-win-win situation absolutely yeah. you know it's a, and the, the these hard times have have rekindled a, a sort of entrepreneurial spirit i think that's been missing for a long time um i mean i mean i'm, I'm pretty young and, and have have uh, not much of a perspective on sort of the entrepreneurial spirit through the years but from what little i can tell it seems like people are looking at things a little bit differently and as you're saying being a little bit more resourceful and how yeah. and in in the manner about which they go creating their lives and there's there are hundreds probably thousands of blogs and websites and businesses um that that have challenged the the status quo uh you know and and, and most of them give credit to tim ferris and his four-hour work week and all this sort of stuff i mean it, it's just just seeing the the wave of change from that book and it, you know be kind of interesting to see where his sources were but um yeah, it, it's interesting to see that this mindset is shifting. 
It's, yeah. It's kind of interesting. And, it, you know, we're seeing that a lot in Central Oregon, too. I mean, there's a lot of people, even before the crash of the economy, a lot of people that I knew worked from home, had flexible schedules and that sort of stuff. And they they somehow got out of the nine to five, 40 plus hour week rat race mm-hmm. doing things. Uh, if they didn't love what, what they did for work, at least they had time to go do what they did love. Absolutely. And, uh, and you know, you kind of remind me of that same type of person where you, you had your, your day job, but at nighttime, here you are in your red room of awesomeness and, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, f- pursuing your passion regardless and making it happen. Absolutely. Uh, you know, yes, it's, uh, it's, it's been an interesting journey. You know, I've, I've been managing an airport here in sisters for the last two years and it has been somewhat like that when there's a lot of work to be done. I'm at work a lot. Uh, but when there's not, I leave so I can come here and, um, play, you know, do my thing, make my, make my music, uh, do, do what makes me happy, happy in, and there's a lot of freedom in that, in that it's, it's what we're pr- sort of programmed to be from, for, you know, before the dawn of industrial civilization, industrialized civilization, you know, we worked our butt off in the spring to plant and in the, in the fall to harvest. And in the summer we, you know, tended to the crop, made sure everything was good. In the winter we didn't do much of all, anything at all. And so I it's, think there's a lot of cuddling in the winter. Yeah, there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of cuddling. <laughs> Absolutely, that's the definitely the one uh, upside of living in Central Oregon is I've never done quite so much cuddling as my, in my entire life as living here. You, know, you <laughs> got to stay warm in the in the winter. Yes, and and having you know having uh, lots of houses with awesome fireplaces is just 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 key. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I I haven't spent much time in L.A., but I have a feeling that the amount of fireplaces there is not not quite as good. Well, growing up in Southern California, there's a lot of people that have fireplaces, but. Uh, you know, I remember growing up in San Diego and, and, you know, Christmas day, we light a fire because it was Christmas day. Right. And, and, and go by, surfing. And uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, there, I, there were days, but, uh, but by seven o'clock in the morning, I mean, we were, we were opening up all the windows and, and the doors just because it, it was way too hot. Just, I mean, there's no need for a fireplace unless you were outside by the beach, then yeah, it got cold, but inside your house, oh, wow. It's like having a pool up here. Really? Awesome. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so right. For the, for the two days you're going to use it? In exactly. The yeah, that's right. So <clears throat> kind of getting back to music a little bit. I mean, you're a musician, you musician. Let's talk about music. So I first saw you at the Sisters Folk Festival this past year. And, uh, you know, having been involved with the Folk Festival before, it's kind of like, you know, every, every year I'm just kind of blown away by the music. A lot of these musicians I didn't. I've never heard of. And then I go see him and it's just like, you know, it it exposed me to so many different genres of music and so many different styles of music and, and, and just tremendous ability and talent that, that every year, uh, it was just such a neat, neat experience for me being a a music lover to see the folk festival and, and just like have different people play. But this last year, it was a completely different folk festival than years before. Right? Folk festival, we got you know blues, bluegrass, in, independent, whatever you know that don't fit a genre. But you know we're walking outside Angelines, and uh, and I just hear some blazing rock and roll. I'm thinking, what the hell? So we walked inside. We walked out back, and there's this you know bearded young man just ripping on a guitar. You want to tell me a little bit about that experience? Oh man, I was I was killer. Uh, Folk festival was great. Um, 
First place we played was a, 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 a tent outside of Melvin's First Street Market. You know, it's, it sounds kind of hokey, but it was it was pretty awesome. Actually, that was a, that was kind of a nice tent. That was a cool little venue. Oh man, that was a killer tent. They had the whole parking lot turned into a, a pretty sweet tent, and that and they had that sound system cranked. Yeah. You know, before we even started, uh, Mark Ransom came on and introduced us as the band who he felt like he probably couldn't control very much. Sort of just warning the crowd that it was going to be loud. And then this this uh, older gentleman. Uh, you know, just immediately started saying, you know, it doesn't have to be loud to be to be good, which you know, I personally disagree with, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, and and he started talking a little smack. And so I stepped to the microphone and I said, you haven't even heard us yet. Um, you know, g- give us a chance. And so then I, so I turned around to a drummer and bass player and I said, let's start off with this with someone else. And it's our loudest tune. And we just, you know, cranked it right from the very beginning of that show. You know, we're not, you know, we're, we're a little bit, you know, the first thing I did when I was born was piss all over the doctor. So I can't, you know, be challenged like that and not so, do something about yeah. it. So we cranked it out and had a great time, uh, at Melvin's by the end of that show, the cops had showed up, which I believe is a folk festival first, uh, yeah. 17 years of folk festival history. Um, uh, the cops had never been called. The first uh, time they broke up a mosh pit at a folk festival. Uh, I don't know if there was quite a mosh pit. There were some hippies <laughs> dancing around, but not quite a mosh pit. Um, the hippie, it's a pit. hippie hippie mosh pit. A hippie, yeah. yeah, exactly. The hi- a hippie <laughs> mosh pit. It's very organized. Um, <laughs> and um, so the cops showed up, and then um, uh, that was so. That was the first, and then they played the next night at Angeline's, uh, and that was that was a super cool experience as well. Um, Angeline's has a has a great venue and great little shop in there mm-hmm. as well. And and uh, the cool thing about that night was uh, later they had just sort of the jam with with everybody, all of the uh, musicians who had played that we can just sort of showed up late. And uh, after the, and I got to jam with David Jacob Strain and a bunch of others. Oh my was, god, I bet that was amazing. It was it was super fun. I'm um, uh, sorry you missed it. It was it was pretty badass. I'm really sorry. Sorry, I missed um, it too. <laughs> um, and then uh, sort of following the precedent from the previous night, the cop showed up again. And then, bam, a week later, yeah. Sisters has its his first and only noise ordinance. So that's a, a pretty pretty proud moment. Yeah, you're walking in front of Angeline's and you hear some some blazing rock and roll. That's a cool description, by yeah, the way. For, Thank for, you for that. And uh, For anyone who doesn't know, David Jacob Strain is, is, uh, is another amazing kind of bluesy guitarist that originally hails from Eugene. But, I mean, he, he just if anyone likes guitar, you just... just Oh yeah! Turn him on and he just listen. It. Oh, he kills it! He, he kills, kills it. it! And just to, and just to have both you guys. I mean, just kind of have two. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to say two rock demigods. That's that's a little too <laughs> too much. But yeah, I mean, you have two guys that are just phenom on on guitar. That would have been a sight to see. Yeah, it was it was super fun. I mean, we're from uh, somewhat different ends of the. Uh, the blue spectrum, you know, in, in his show, he has, he has a bit where he talks a little smack on people from the Hendrix Stevie Ray school and, I'm, you know, firmly from the Hendrix yeah. Stevie Ray school, yeah. but unabashedly, you know, yeah, unabashedly. And, uh, you know, so we're, we're from different spectrums, but that night was super fun and we, we had a great time and, oh, and we right both on. played loud and just had a great time. Right on. So speaking of, of, you know, playing so well, how did you get so good? What, I mean, you take a magic pill one morning and now poof, and then your fingers were hitting the right strings uh, in the right place or how, yes, how did that actually, work? Exactly. That's exactly how it happened. Uh, no, um, the truth of the matter is I'm not, I'm not that good in my, in my opinion, in my own estimation, I'm not that good. I, I, you know, the, the, what I see are my glaring deficiencies all of the time. Uh, 
But what I will say is that there's... That's because you're an artist. Right. <laughs> I guess. But what I will say is that there's absolutely zero substitute for uh, time with a guitar in your hands. You know, whatever it is that you want to do, you got to spend time doing it. And if it is what you are meant to do, or is, if it is what you want to do bad enough that you generate your own love for it, and, and that's how it works. You have to generate your own love. It, it's not like this is something that I love. Um, and because it's made for me, it's because you go out and you grab it and you, you wrestle around with it until it's all the only thing that's there for you. Um, and, and so I, you know, I just, I've had a lot of time with, with the guitar in my hands. Um, and, uh, and I, I seem to be pretty, it, it, it's worked out pretty easily for me. You know, it, I, it fits my sort of situatedness, um, in, in this realm. And, um, when it when it well let me ask you a question real quick because there are different schools of thought that you know there's there's practice makes perfect and then there's perfect practice makes perfect mm-hmm. um and there's you know time spent and then there's you know you you play like you practice so that you'll or you practice like you play so you play like you practice i mean you know someone it seems to me that someone could just sit there and run through their scales while they're you know watching tv you know in between the show what during the commercial that sort of stuff and then there's someone like yourself who you seem focused, you seem intent, you seem, I will master this and I will move on and progress. I mean, that's just the, the sense I get from having spoken to you these few times. Can you talk to that? Well, I mean, yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, the, there is a right way to practice and there's a wrong way to practice. I mean, it all just sort of stems from your mindset. Um, if it's make no doubt about it. It's playing the guitar is, is yogic meditation. And unless you are practicing single pointed focus on what you're doing, you're not going to improve upon it. You know, so if you're sitting there watching TV, not to say that I haven't done that for a thousand hours, you know, watching TV with a guitar in my hand, sort of idly noodling around, because I have. But the truth is, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, absolutely. But that can't be the only thing. But no, but that that can't be. You, the vast, vast, vast majority of of your practice has to be sitting down with single pointed inten- uh, attention and with the intention to get as close to to whatever it is that you decide is perfect every time. And so. You know, it's just having an unwavering standard of perfection. You know, I, I was watching a TED Talk the other day. I can't remember the gentleman's name who was giving the TED Talk, and I'm sorry I can't give him credit for this because it was an amazing thing that he said. And he said, um, ch- ch- uh, chasing perfection is like chasing a unicorn. You know, you can chase, you can go all over the world looking for this unicorn and you will never find it. But, you know, going across the entire world looking for a unicorn, you still see some pretty cool stuff. Yeah. You know, and so you know, single. You have to have single point of attention, and you have to have an unwavering sort of desire for perfection, and and that those two things have led me to never be really satisfied with my playing. But it has those. That's sort of the basic frame of mind I'm in in that has led to led me to where I am now. So I think I know how you would answer this, but how do you think your grandfather, your your original inspiration, would answer this question of? You know, those those people would say, oh, but I don't have enough time or I'm too busy or I, I'm, I, I can never be that good or, you know, I have kids. You know, what do you say to someone like that who wants to play guitar, but they're just filled with so many, I'm going to say challenges? 
Well, I mean, I think it just sort of stems back to what we were talking about earlier, and it's it's pretty simply put that they don't want it bad enough. You know, that's I mean, that's if you wanted it bad enough, you would have been roping by now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, if you wanted it bad enough, you'd do it. Um, that's sort of the truth of the matter. I've, I I I find with myself most of all that any time I have to justify myself for something. Uh, that means I need to take a look at it and see why I'm probably wrong about it, you know? And so if you have to justify, well, like if, if it's like, oh, I can't do this because I have, because I have kids or because I don't have time. And it's like, you know, if you have to keep, if you have to keep coming up with excuses to justify, you know, something being the case, then you're probably wrong about it. Well, like, you know, we were talking before we started this podcast about how, um, you know, whenever I swim or whatever, I, you know, trying to fill my head with, with, you know, just positive thought processes to, to engage my mindset and, and to go forward. And, and part of the reason why I've, I've done that in, in, in the past, just kind of focusing on, on those people who have accomplished a, a lot despite their busy schedules. Um, you know, there's a great article uh, years ago in outside magazine, uh, uh, called the, the, the fittest real athletes, I think it was. And they were just talking about how, I mean, you know, these people were worked 40, 50 hours a week. They had families at home and then they went on to be, you know, successful triathletes, for example. Now, I don't want to be that deadbeat dad where I come home, kiss my kids and I go get on the bike for four hours, for example. But there's a, a better balance than come home exhausted, kiss the wife, kiss the kids, stick throw them to bed and then sit in front of the TV for two more hours and then wash, rinse, repeat. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. I think there's a, there's a better way to engage. And, and I think personally as a father, it's, it's my responsibility to take time to practice guitar, to go swim, to do these things, not, not to be selfish, but to give myself just a little bit so that when I'm reengaged with my kids, especially my kids, then my wife, I am there completely. And, and I can show them that this is a better way. Yeah. And I've mentioned to you before and other people, I, I, I don't want to be the dad that drops the kids off at piano lessons. I want to be the dad that says, hey, come on, kid, let's go, let's go jam. You're, you're, yeah, that's, that's, a perfect, that's a perfect way to look at it. And you know, not only that, you're also as you say, showing your kids the, the, the better way to do it. I mean, we find so many people who, who will say, Oh, I have to, I have to work this job that I hate for 40 hours a week because I have to provide for my kids. It's like, well, what are you providing for them? The example you're providing for them is a life of misery. You know, I, I mean, there are plenty of people out there and it's like, no, I can't do this because I have to have a kid. I can't play music, uh, because I have to provide for my kids. And it's like, there are those that say it's irresponsible. Right. Oh, I, so, what life are you so what are you setting up I mean, it's like you you want to provide for your kids so that they can grow up and then do the same thing that you did this no you got to continue to chase your dreams and to create amazing beautiful things throughout your entire life you know that's basically um what the point is uh, or it seems to me uh, that's that's basically the point of life is to create amazing things and to and to do stuff that that fills you with energy you know and so show that example to your kids even if it means you have to you know have somewhat of an atypical untraditional non-traditional uh, way of doing things and especially i mean granted you know putting food on the table is a very important thing but once that's done 
well, there's there are other things that you need to provide for your children, and so I I, I think we agree. I, yeah. I think we're I think we're on the same page on that one. Um, so maybe we can come up with something we disagree on here in a second. Get, like, get a heated argument about it. Yeah, but we'll talk about homebrewing a little bit. Oh, right. It's like no, those are the wrong type of hops, man. Yeah, no, really. wrong temperature, <laughs> no. dude. Yeah, no, it's got to be warm. No, it's got to be cold. Um, so since you've been playing and 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 you have this killer little setup you know what is your process for writing your songs what is your pro- process for practicing and 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 just learning your scales and being able to phrase your solos and i mean how does that all work as far as your standpoint goes well if you really love something that there, then there are uh, an infinite number of little facets of it that fascinate you and so you have to grab onto that little facet that um is fascinating you at the moment and incorporate it and integrate it into the, the wholeness of what it is that you do, you know? So from the outside, it, it looks like, and I was, and I was thinking about this question actually recently. And from the outside, it looks like total chaos. It's like, you know, you're doing this one day, you're doing this the next day. Um, but the, the, the majority of my practice has been, you know, Oh, there's something that really caught my attention. And I'm going to, I'm going to get that. Like, like, like a little riff or a lick in a song. That, sure. A riff and a lick or song, or maybe it's soloing over a, a certain set of changes, or maybe it's, uh, maybe it's working on some timing. Maybe it's searching for that perfect tone. Maybe it's learning a song. Well, like in your song, laser beam, I mentioned to you before we got started that it, it's a, to me, it's a very catchy tune and there's, there's certain, I think what's catchy about it, you know, we're going to give you a little shameless plug um, uh, your, about your song Laser Beam. Now, it, it's a song, to me, it's got this great little intro. It's very, very Jimmy and Stevie Ray-esque, um, and it's got some really, really great, comfortable, discordant chords in there as well. Uh, but I think one of the things that uh, really impressed me the most, or impressed upon me the most in my guitar playing is... is I, I've seen you rip. I've seen you play. I've seen your fingers fly a million miles an hour and just kind of bust out some big energy. This song seemed very restrained and very patient. It seemed like a very mature, patient song. And uh, and it was thinking about trying to improve and playing guitar. Uh, I think it was Dennis McGregor was talking to me one day. And he said, you know, it's not about trying to play as many notes as, in a second as possible or the... Um, I can't even pronounce his name. Um, the uh, f- French, f- I guess he's a philosopher. Or something he's talked about. It's not how much. It's not how much you add. It's how much you take away that makes it perfect. Um, this that song, which is very restrained. It, it's just kind of like I knew. I knew you had more energy that could bust out, but you did that intentionally, and and that's the part that that really. Um, sorry, I'm getting a little off topic, but that's the part that really um, uh, impacted me mm-hmm. from listening to that. And that's why it was very catchy because it was just, I was expecting it to go in one direction and it didn't. It kind of calmed back down. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that that's, n- I, I want to take a moment to address something you said, though, because I mean, I, I find that I've only ever heard... Um, people who can't play fast say that <laughs> um, but the, which I mean, is probably true it's true it's important to be able to play fast and there's the, and there's been a part of my development where i played as many notes as i possibly could and my goal is to play as fast as possible but eventually you grow out of that 
but you can do it. And I'm still, it still overcomes me a lot of times. Uh, you know, I just want to play as fast as I can. And I still work on playing fast licks as fast as I can, but as controlled as I can and as close to perfect as I can. But the real restrainedness, uh, the real restrained feeling comes from not from holding back, but from knowing that you don't have to because you can, because you have a million times. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's, that's the thing that, that, that settle, that you just settle down eventually. I mean, I'm sort of reaching the point now where I've, I, can see myself relaxing and that when you have this um, primary driver as as I said earlier that you want to be the best it's hard to relax you know every moment because you're in constant push mode exactly I'm always up against a wall and um, one of the, the phases that have led me through are trying to play as many notes as I can, use every scale that I can, play as fast as I can, you know, make my way up and down the neck as fast as I can and as efficiently and as effective as I can. And then once you can do that, it's like, it's like, you know, ever heard the old phrase, you know, once you cross the river, you can leave the boat behind, you know, it's. And I crossed the river of being able to play fast. I mean, I still want to be able to play faster. I still want to be able to play better. I want to be able to play more notes when I want to, when the situation calls for it. Um, but largely I've done that and I've, I've played fast and it's, you know, it's, I don't have to prove that anymore that I can do it. So, so you're at a point where you've filled your toolbox full of tools and now you can pick and choose which tool to use to support that particular song exactly i think that's that's what the journey is all about and you know my i expect my toolbox to get much much bigger as i progress and learn more and practice more and you know i mean i the begin i think my practice life has just begun you know, i'm i'm 26 years old which you know there's there are a lot of uh, base psychological issues with sort of reaching that age as someone who has studied the greats and so, you know is constantly looking at how old they are and how old certain people were when they were doing things. I mean that's something that I just somehow can't get away from. And you know you always constantly compare yourself to other people while working hard not to do it. Yeah. You know. Um, so I have acquired uh, Hawawa is my kitty. Yeah. Uh, uh, I've I've acquired it. Ex- I, I love that your cat's name is Wawa. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I don't think that was lost on me or anyone else. But your your cat's name is Wawa. <laughs> yeah, so he's awesome. But I digress. Oh no, he also has an extra thumb though on his. Uh, he's so he's he's a, the best cat guitarist. Oh really? Yeah. Oh yeah, he's the man. Yeah. He picks stuff up. Anyway, uh, the the point is, I'm I'm 26. I've gotten quite a an extensive uh, set of tools that I can use and use um, quite frequently. And I hope I can use them uh, more effectively and more efficiently as I gain a larger array of tools and as I gain more knowledge on when is the adequate and appropriate time to use them. So we kind of alluded to this. The, the next thing I want to talk about is, you know, your influences. Obviously, we, you, you brought up Jimi Hendrix. You brought up Stevie Ray Vaughan. What other influences are? I mean, you know, you can kind of hear that in your playing. I can hear that in your playing. There's just certain little little turns of musical phrase that just like, oh, that kind of sounded like a little Jimmy song or, you know, I can't put my thumb on it. But it's just, you know, you, you, you kind of heard that phrasing before. Mm-hmm. Not not in a generic sense like oh everyone plays that little burn on the lick, but it's just kind of the little little. Uh, it's got little, a signature little, in there. Yeah, it's got a little spicy signature in there too. That it's just like yeah yeah that's that's definitely good. What other influences do you have? I mean, you talk about coming from from uh, playing or your grandfather playing in Texas. I'm sure that had you know more than just a 
a, a spirit moving in you. Mm-hmm. I, well, a, yeah, absolutely. Um, that that's correct. I Chet Atkins is a big standout. You know, my my granddad always idolized Chet Atkins, and sort of the the style of guitar that he played was you know fantastic. It's just uh, the, the the things that he could create and the chord progressions that he that he came up with, and the voicings that he used and um, employed so effectively um, were just you know. Beyond the one, four, five, back to one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Correct. Um, it's, so there's life beyond the 12 bar blues. There is life beyond the 12 bar blues. Uh, I mean, there, it, there is, it's true that the fewer people want to hear it or experience that life, you know, because um, the 12 bar blues is something that everybody can relate to in some regard. Um, but I, I just think Chet Adkins was an amazingly. Uh, smart guitar player mm. and he's it was obviously a guy who held the guitar you know every day for many hours and it was it was a, an extension of him and and but I, I think his intelligence is always something that i that w- w- was pressed upon pressed upon me at a young age and something that i've always uh, attempted to replicate um i'm a big mark knopfler fan as well i think he is certainly from that school he i think mark knopfler is also a huge chet atkins fan you know you, there's you can go on youtube you can see videos of them playing together and pff, they're both just animals um they're you know it's Lately, I've been into uh, Roy Buchanan quite a bit. I mean, PBS did a special on him in the 80s called The Greatest Guitar Player You've Never Heard Of or The Greatest Unknown Guitar Player or something and, and, something and, like that. And I can affirm that, so tell me more about him. Oh, well, Roy Buchanan, basically, he played a, a Telecaster, and he played the country blues, and he he uh, just made that thing wail. Uh, he's just, just the most... I'll, I'll I'll play you some Roy Buchanan before you leave here today, and just the the stuff, that, the sounds that he made are just just wonderful. His he 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 plugged pretty much as far as I could tell, he just is plugged straight in from his telly into a Fender Twin, and you know, the the Austin City Limits uh, DVD that I've seen of him several times. He has that Fender ten, Twin turned around backwards. You know he is cranking that thing. Um, and just the tone coming out of it is just the the most eerie wailing, um, crying sounds, and it's just it just uh, doesn't do much on stage. Not very animated. Just his guitar just sings. So so Roy Buchanan is is uh, some, uh, an influence that I've definitely gotten into over the last couple of years. Awesome. Um, he's a new influence. Um, and I, I wanted to qualify the Stevie Ray and then Jimmy influence. A little bit because certainly it's there. Uh, amazingly, the I guess one of the difficulties when you become a legend is that you become cliche as well. And anytime mm-hmm. somebody um, pays attention to it, it, it risks because uh, everyone's trying to play like those guys. Yeah, uh, yeah, to, with absolutely. greater and lesser degrees of success. Sure, sure, they are. Um, that, but I'm from from a, for a long time. I mean, I've always noticed something different about their playing, and I don't I don't know that that all of the people who try to replicate them can recognize this. And and it's uh, the most important thing about the guitar playing is getting out of your way. And those two guys, I mean, there, there are millions of millions of guitarists on this planet, but from what I've heard, there's very, very small number of guitar players. And what I mean by that is that when you see a small child, when recess starts and they go to the playground and they just begin to play and they don't 
they don't plan out. I'm going to go get on swing set. I'm going to swing back and forth 48 times, and then I'm going to jump off, and I'm going to run over to the seesaw. You know, they just play, you know, with complete abandon and just absolute meditative confidence. And Hendrix and Stevie Ray were two of those guys. Um, the, the scales that they used, the licks that they played, yeah, those were those are mind-blowing and amazing, and no one will ever be able to replicate them. But what you can replicate and what the, is, is the real gem of what they have done is the meditative quality of their playing. If you watch Stevie Ray, he absolutely goes away when he plays. And then he, the song's over and he comes back. You know, and then the next song starts and he goes away, you know, and that's, that's the, that's the goal. That's, that's the, that's the gem. That's what we're really searching for. When I was in college, I went through a little bit of a blues phase and, and discovered what is now my, f- my favorite Jimi Hendrix album and is his blues album. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and that was kind of an early introduction to me to just blues in general and you know, true, true blues. And, um, and the thing that I remember and, and and still think about is he is playing traditional blues style, the 12 bars and, and all that sort of stuff. And, but the way that he was able to just transcend that from all the other blues that I listened to at that time, it, it, it was, yeah, he was, he was just like, you know, a, a kid in a, in a candy store uh, where he, he wasn't just thinking he was just, it was just a, a stream of consciousness the way he played. It, it's just whatever came to his mind instantly translated out to his fingers. And, and the mind and, didn't have a chance to get in the way. Yeah, yeah. It, he, yeah, his his playing was able to get ahead of his mind where he wasn't thinking about it and it was just happening. And and you could and I can tell that just listening to that album, it was just I listened to that over and over and over. And it's like, wow, this the, there's something about this Jimi Hendrix guy is really good. I wonder if he still plays, you know, because you know, I was in college didn't really listen to him much then and you know, and uh, and uh, as it turned out that no, he was not playing anymore at that <laughs> point in time. But uh, thank God for the blues album coming out. I it, it came out right around right around then, I think it was. Oh, right on. Mid nineties, I think. But oh man, it was killer. Yeah, and that's what Clapton says about uh, Stevie Ray. Clapton, another one of my hugely amazing influences. Though I'm I'm, a, I'm I suspect that the being raised in England and uh, being exposed to a uh, an obscene amount of Victorian prudishness uh, is somewhat stunting in the ways of guitar. Though he is, you know, one of the you know the most important guitarists of, uh, of ever. Um, but anyway, what he said about Stevie Ray, and and you could find this this uh, interview on YouTube. I can't remember exactly where it is. Go back to YouTube. Which to address a previous question, how do you get this good? If you want to learn something, go on YouTube. It doesn't matter what it is. Go on YouTube. You can learn it, period. Anyway, this interview on uh, YouTube with Clapton, he said, I was driving in my car, and all of a sudden this sound came on, this guitar player, and I, I had to pull the car over because he, he never had to sort of stop and regroup. Not ever did he stop and think, you know, where am I going to go next? What am I going to do next? You know, it just always came naturally and it's that's an that's an ultimate show of faith you know to know that no matter where you go and to know no matter where you step um on that guitar neck um and where you are in your sort of musical consciousness you're going to land on your feet and be able to to use what you just played to build something amazing and build something beautiful and that's that's a skill that he learned and never looked back from it's an absolute 
super consciousness. And, um, you know, Aaron Copeland says, the great composer Aaron Copeland says, you know, I don't know what super consciousness is, but I can tell you that it's the opposite of self-consciousness. And you think about yourself, you think about what you're doing, you think about um, what you're playing and what the audience thinks, you're dead. The thread is broken, and there is nothing more rewarding than looking back after a tune at a complete unbroken thread. Well, let me throw a little uh, love back to the Sisters Folk Festival. And a couple years ago, um, you know, the past few years I've gone up to that song camp, and there's a a guy up there named uh, Peter Mulvey. Um, and if any of you know Peter Mulvey, I I suggest you go check him out. He's a he was a, a, a basically a poet with a soundtrack. I mean, the guy was pretty was pretty cool, but. He, he taught a class up at this song camp called uh, Single String Theory. And, and it just, and this is, I'm trying to bridge the gap between these legends who just, they think in guitar, you know, like fluent language uh, uh, ability. He was talking, he taught a class where, I mean, he had, there's a, a group of people in this class where the, the idea of soloing just freaked him out. And he taught them on a single string, you can play a solo. And you take three notes, and you have a solo, and 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 uh, you've got your pat, you got your major scale pattern, the whole whole half, whole 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 half, you know, and that sort of thing. Well, you follow that pattern on a single string, but the the beauty of it was, if you hit the wrong note, you all you have to do is slide a half step up or a half step down, and that's the blues, and the, and that was the basis of this class, and it was just kind of like, okay, that was the beginning point of this stuff that we're talking about with Hendrix and Clapton. But it's also the end point. It's not only is it the beginning point, but it's also the end point. And it's the end point in that you realize that the label that you're placing on it, mistake, is just a label that you're making up. Some of the best stuff, one of the changes in laser beam actually was a mistake. And I really? yeah, in the in the um in the bridge, um, you know, it's not like there was ever really an option. And then, you know, um, and then the next time you come around again, and I, I went, for, um, uh, let's see, what was it? Um, it was a, it was an A flat minor nine, and then the next one I hit it a, a fret too high, and it went to a, a, an A minor nine, and it was just the coolest change ever. And if I had just immediately said, oh, that's a mistake, you know, that's... Um, no, that's not what I intended to that's do. Not exactly, gonna, that yeah. is not what I intended to do. And you have to remain open that way. And, you know, even in my playing, when I hit a note that I consider wrong, I just go, oh, that's a new, that's a new doorway. And, of course, you know, anyone who attends any, like, music classes or conversation, well, if you make a mistake, just make it twice, and then it just, that's rock and roll. Exactly. That's that's a great way to put it. I mean, make it twice. It, it, it's rock and roll, and not only that. And that's also the course of mastery. Because yeah. if you make a mistake and then you do it once again deliberately, then that is in your arsenal. Yeah, I remember uh, just after high school, I went and uh, saw the the very first Lollapalooza, and Susie and the Banshees was playing. And, and uh, during during the set, she fell flat flat on her ass. Oh, excuse me, on her butt. And and a little bit later, she did it again. <laughs> it was just like, oh, yeah, she she's really into it. That that wasn't a mistake. She was into it and and so you know the world will never know if that was just her being into it or if she just fell down and was trying to cover it up that's right but the most important part is that was an amazing set and and uh, I'm, I'm sad susan the banshees is is no longer out playing because that was some good stuff man right on. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but as far as you know talking about this ability to play and that and and seeking perfection not everyone's going to get to that point. Not everyone's going to reach that destination of, of legendary status. But 
the beginning of that road, the beginning of, of that journey is accessible to everybody. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that was what I really captured from Peter Mulvey's talk about single string theory. It was like, all you need is a single string on your guitar and you can still play guitar, you know, three chords in the truth. You still got, you still got quite a good song. Sure. I yeah. mean, three chords made a lot of people rich. Yeah. Yeah, so, sure. So speaking of all this stuff, this is a, a question I really wanted to get to, especially. So, yeah, we're going to crack our knuckles. That's right. And, right on. Let's uh, get yeah, to I, I want to hear it. Um, what is it about music? Uh, what is it about music? What is it about music? That's, that's, a, great, that's a great question. Uh, uh, it's... Uh, <laughs> Wow, just a lot of uh, amazingly in- intelligent tomes have been written on this. I, I mean, I we're going to need a couple more hours, I think. I guess so. I mean, I read a book. You uh, got two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Um, I, I read a book called "The Music of the Spheres" by a guy named I, th- I think it's like Jamie James or something was the name of this guy. It was a really dry read, but the basic overall thing <laughs> was that in the beginning, music was simply here to um, to emulate the perfect harmony that the planets were aligned at you know um circling the earth and that's why um you know for so long there were such strict rules about how you had to approach it and it was so slow to evolve you know and then all of a sudden you know the 1800s come around and here comes beethoven with something that he you know it takes a deaf guy to be sitting there playing and go you know what i'm just going to do this because it sounds cool not because it's it follows the rules or because it honors you know the the perfect harmony that the that the heavens have been built in, um, but all of a sudden you see this massive sea change, and you have some guy go, "Oh, is it, is, is it, this sounds cool." Dun, 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 dun. You know, this is like that's and, the, and from what I remember hearing about that music in that time, it was scandalous. Yeah, ab- absolutely. It was it was complete it, blasphemy. It was rock and roll in the 50s, man. It's just like <laughs> Yeah, ab- absolutely. And and so you have these two aspects of music. You have one that that inherently honors the the perfect harmony that allows us to exist as we do the perfect balance between the laws of nature and all of those various things that allows this universe and this experience to exist and also uh music as subservient to us and something that gives us pleasure or gives us pain or gives us some sort of excitement something that we use to you know we use music to honor and then we use music to manipulate and uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is that it's just those two those two things together um, as both a a pinnacle of of honor towards the towards the universe that we live in as well as something that we can manipulate. It's a connection with the divine, you know. It, we, we, it's accessible and that we can use it to manipulate ourselves and we can manipulate it as well. But it's also you know a key right to that animating spark. That's uh, and I guess that's that's why your your question isn't a full sentence because I can't really give a full answer. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, I'm basically asking you to define love for me. It's just like it's so many different things. But you know, the, the the key thing was this: is what is music for you? I mean, what is it about music for you? And that's I think you've captured it in a very existential sense. But well, I, you I, know, I, I, it, existentially, that that's what it is. And but certainly, uh, personally, um, I would just say that music for me has been been the most effective and efficient vehicle 
to allow me to sort of transcend and to to become still and to practice meditation. I mean, there's nothing better when there, than when there's nothing. Um, so it's 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 my it's certainly my yoga. You know, it's 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 uh, inherent to my religion uh, and my sort of place on this earth i mean what what is music that's just music is everything it's the relationship between all things you know you, you hear the cliche there's music and everything but there really is it's just the way sounds bounce off each other and the way you feel when you hear them yeah it's just it's just air pressure that's you know desirable that's that's what that's certainly the physical aspect of it you know certainly there's music beyond the sound i think um well, I think, you know, it, it definitely comes deep from our our uh, reptile brain and deep in our cerebellum, too. Just that, that whomp, 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 whomp. I mean, there's reasons why where you you take people from different parts of the world thousands of years ago, and, and you don't have isolated little pockets of people who are playing music and dancing and having ceremonies. That happened everywhere all over the world and one would think okay so you know here uh, in america we started with fast food restaurants and all these uh, western things and now that's taking over because you know here's the source back in you know millennia ago you have these these tribal peoples that they all had their form of music they're all they all had their form of percussion and and how, there's got to be some sort of inherent spiritual genetic, what, whatever that thing is. I think that's where music comes from. But I have no idea what that is. Yeah, if you I mean if you if you can define it, that's that's a sixty-four thousand dollar question right there, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> well, fr- fr- and, and frankly, you know, I really don't care what it is. I just I just love the fact that it's one of those things that just connects people. I mean, you take people from rich, poor, and otherwise, you stick them at a concert, and everyone's just kind of grooving together, you know? It, it, it's kind of a, it's a thing that, it, for me, brings people together, brings kind of, um, it, it's a sharing of, it shares stories, it shares emotions, it shares energy. That, that, that for me, that's what, that's, that's what I see music as, and, 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 uh, you know, of course, I'm not trying to interview myself here, but it's just kind of, what I hear you saying that it translated in the same way with me, but just different phrasing. Sure. Sure. I mean, isn't it kind of more fun though, that it's undefined, that it's somewhat undefinable. I mean, I know certainly science is, is, uh, you know, scrambling every day to be able to define things as specifically as, as possible. But to me, it's kind of more fun that it's uh, a mystery, and I think that there's certainly something to be said for uh, something being undefinable. We we humans, we are so un- uh, uncomfortable with uncertainty and things being not defined in a way that we can't categorize them. You know, so when people say, "What genre of music do you play?" I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I just, yeah. I just I play some blues rock, jazz, funk, classical. I just what you know. I yeah. I don't. It's you can certainly make loose categorizations, but it's certainly difficult. Well, and I've heard, you know, obviously beer drinking and beer brewing and the beer world is important to me as well. And I've heard people say, well, what's your favorite beer? I said, well, the one that's right in front of me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably the best answer I've ever heard. 
the one right in front of me. Sure. So we've let's see, we've got uh, we're getting close to an hour now, and, and there's a couple of things I definitely want to get to. Um, uh, yeah, there's so many questions that we could ask, but you know, you know, you the, all, the all, lightning round. Uh, yeah, all good things must come to an end at some point. Um, uh, real quick, what are your plans for music? I mean, you, you mentioned you, you ran a airport for the last couple of years. What are you going to do now? Well, uh, I'm moving to San Francisco so I can have access to a lot more venues, a lot more people. To uh, share here. the good living in Central Oregon and San Francisco? Absolutely. Sp- to spread <laughs> nice. the news. And it's like, hey, when you guys get tired of uh, the big city living, I know where you can go to enjoy your life even more than you enjoy it already. Yeah, right on. You know, I, some of us have to have to make the journey journey away to spread the, spread so, the good so, news. So you're a missionary. That's right. I'm a Central Oregon missionary. Thank God for you. Essentially, thank God for me. Me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to go to San Francisco and I'm going to uh, play as much as I can. I'm going to hone my craft, um, you know, at, and at the at the end of the day, I'm going to um, uh, play music for as many people as I can, put on as, as good of a show as I can, as often as I can, make as much money as I can and change the world uh, to, to suit my sensibilities as much as I can while I can. So will you play solo? Will you join a band or will Hobbs the band live on in san francisco all of the above i, I mean uh, at this point patrick and caleb aren't in in a place where they can really relocate with me um so uh, and who are patrick and caleb pa- for the audience I, my mistake patrick is the bass player in hobbs band and caleb is the drummer in hobbs band with just amazing musicians they're yeah. they're uh, i haven't met caleb but patrick on bass is is something to be heard and yeah. enjoyed i mean those guys are those guys are fixtures in the central oregon uh music community right now and if uh they, they, i mean they play with a ton of different bands they play with mark ransom they play with Bryn allen uh travis Arnstrom, um just about anybody the jay-z band yes yes Dennis mcgregor who do they play for <laughs> yes yes exactly they play for everybody and so if, i mean they're, Shoot, they're Pat, patrick's played with me before well, yeah, a couple times go. yeah just <laughs> it, it, you know he, he'll stoop down a little bit oh no, he's <laughs> just he he's not he's not stooped down he's a uh, he's just a the most amazingly accessible Patrick knows how to make anybody sound good. You know, that's Patrick's gift. He can stand on his own two feet any day of the week. Yes. If he were an athlete, he'd be the guy dishing out assists all day long. He's the John Stockton of my mailman. That's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Man. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully we'll get Pat on this interview too, or at some point or on this uh, podcast at some point, I'd love to talk to him. Absolutely. I anyway. got a crazy good perspective too. I mean, you know, he's certainly somebody worth interviewing. Uh, so yeah, I mean, they're, they're going to stay here for, for the time being. There's no telling what the future will hold. So that's why I say oh, uh, yes to all three of those possibilities. I'm certainly going to be playing some solo shows. I'm certainly going to connect with other mus- musicians down in San Francisco. I mean, I certainly look at this move like a diversification rather than the cutting of one thing and uh, a building of another. Um, so, I mean, that's I'm going to... Uh, I'm, I'm proliferating Hobbs the man, Hobbs the guy, Hobbs the dude. I mean, so it's... Uh, Hobbs the brand. Hobbs the exactly. Hobbs the brand. It's the bar H. You know. I mean, yeah. that's that's. I have I have a symbol. I have a brand, and I want I want people to recognize that bar H. It's an H with a line over the top of it, and it's a cattle brand that my granddad uh, left to me when he died, and so I you know I own the rights to the, to the bar H, and I use that. So someday you can be the artist formerly known as Hobbs. Oh, correct. Exactly. Just known as a symbol. Nice. I. Because uh, go back to an earlier question, Prince is awesome. I mean, that guy can that guy can. I'm not a huge guitar. fan of pop, but oh my goodness, I had, yeah, yeah. Let, that's a, that's another topic for another day. Yeah, Prince, another topic for another day. Oh we'll get to it. Episode two. Yeah, really. Yeah, Prince. yeah. When you come back, you know, rich and famous, come back to Central Oregon.
Let's see. Uh, oh, this is definitely one we need to hit before we hit the lightning round. This, right. this is a big one because, you know, the, the, this is for anyone who's listening to this podcast. Um, you know, like myself, I'm I'm not a blazing, incredible, fast guitarist. And uh, there's a lot of people who are out there that maybe they want to be. Maybe they just want to even just get started. And, uh you know, from the beginner who's never really played guitar before, but maybe they're they're 40, 45 and just thinking, man, I always wanted to play it. I'm just going to do it. If I want it bad enough, I'm going to start doing it all the way to the person who's looking to go pro at some point. What advice would you give them? What resources do you use that would be valuable? What what tips can you provide? Oh, um, just just sort of uh, uh, a rehashing of what I've already said, and it's that you got to spend time with the guitar in your hand. That's what you have to do. If you spend the more you time that, uh, you spend with the guitar in the hand, the more you get addicted to it, and the more it becomes part of your uh, pleasure zone and your reward system. You know, the it's the, in in college uh, when I was taking music classes back at Amarillo College. I still remember one of the valuable things I learned learned there was, um, you know, the more you practice, the more you love it, and the more you love it, the more you'll practice. So just just practice, and if it's something that you really want to do, if you're not lying to yourself, if you're telling yourself the truth that this is something you really want to do, then you'll do it, and you'll spend. And as I said earlier, you'll get enamored with little facets of it. You'll you'll. Um, uh, something about a tune will stand out to you, and you go, "I have to know what that's about, and I have to know how to make that sound. I have to know how to replicate it. I know I have to, I have to understand it, and I have to know why they're doing it." Um, it's if you want to do it bad enough, you'll do it. Um, and YouTube, those are. The, I mean, if if you if you really need uh, another person in this day and age with the internet and the resources available to you anywhere instantly if you really need another person to motivate you to do it um through i mean and i'm t- speaking specifically to taking lessons then you don't want to do it bad enough pretty much i mean i've I, I took lessons when i was 10 i took lessons when i was 14 i took lessons when i was um 19 and when i as i got a little older it started working but I finally realized it's like, why, why do I take lessons? It's great to get another person's perspective, especially if it's somebody that you really appreciate and you, and you really, um, value. Um, but they can just set you on the right track. You know, I, um, uh, Dave Fryer was a, was a, a great, uh, guitar player from Amarillo, Texas, who I started taking lessons from when I went back there, um, to play music with my band right after high school. And, um, there, uh, there, he taught me one thing uh, about the blues, um, just sort of the way tritones move around in in the blues, and it just shocked my world. And he just gave me the key to a door that opened a thousand other doors. And that, and watching how he held himself, how he played the guitar, and a couple of little riffs that stood out, and from that he gave me sort of the keys to the kingdom. Um, and that, you can just sort of... The, there are little seeds along the way that will that will sprout and unlock and uh you just so yeah lessons are valuable um but the truth is at the end of the day if if you want to do something bad enough you'll do it and you'll find the resources and youtube is basically all you need i can't tell you how many hours i've sat in front of watching uh, in front of youtube watching stevie ray play watching roy buchanan play watching uh Video video quality wasn't great back when Hendrix was going, but sure. oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. uh, but sit there and you and you listen over and over and over. Play with your ear. Don't watch um, don't watch how to videos. You know, every once in a while, if you need to, 
if you're really stuck, great, watch a how-to video. But do your best to watch something or listen to it, to it and learn it by ear. Do your best to be able to hear it and replicate it. You know. Um, and one rule that I always live by: if you're a guitarist who wants to start being able to shred and to play fast and to play really wicked solos, sing your solos. Sing your solo. You have to develop that bridge between the sound that you hear in your head and the what you're playing on your guitar and the real easy natural thing to do is your voice and then when you do both when you're playing at a concert and you sing through the microphone while you're playing people just freak out so you know sing your solos mm-hmm. and i've heard you do that i think it was on laser beam you do that as well and uh oh do oh. was that on laser beam or is it different sometimes <laughs> when i feel it well at least at least the version that the at least the copy or the the file that i have listening to laser beam I, I think it's the song you do anyway it it worked and uh, and i've heard that uh quite a few times and speaking from okay you know myself i'm not a i'm not a great guitarist but you know I, i'm one of those people trying to aspire to get better at it get better at the craft just kind of become one of the guitar we've kind of talked about that the reasons why before but one of the things that i can i can talk to i mean it, it's easy to listen to someone who who at the end of their day, you know, they've got nothing but time and a great place. Well, okay, so there there are people who, as soon as they're done with work, they go home to screaming kids and then and then demands and then dishes and laundry and and I, I get it. I'm living that. But um, one of the things that I've learned from other dads in this community is that if I want to get up and work out, or if I want to go work out, period, then you get up early before the kids wake up. If you want it bad enough, you go do it. And it's, a, it's kind of funny that I get up early and go to the gym and, and work out. And I, there's a few other dads there, too, that are just bleary-eyed. But w- we all know that we're, if, we're, if we don't get it in before the kids wake up, we're not going to get it in. And, and you know, it, it's just 30 minutes of, of sleep you're giving up. Who gives a rip? The same thing with, you know, when, whenever I get a chance to play guitar or practice, whatever, it's usually at night after the kids have gone down. Okay, I got 10 minutes. I'm giving up 10, 15 minutes of sleep. Usually it goes longer to maybe 30 minutes, sometimes, you know, an hour. But, you know, shoot, if all I've got is 10, 15 minutes, about 10, 15 minutes that, that, I, that I, I'm not missing any sleep. Mm-hmm. If that's all we're talking about, well, I'm, I'm actually running through the fingering and, and spending time with the guitar, but I'm not missing 15 minutes of sleep. Right. It, it's, it's nothing. It's a small sacrifice. Sure, sure. That's I mean that's that's great. I mean and you have to be opportunistic. Any moment that you have to to pick up pick up the guitar, you know, could be the moment that changes everything for you. So you have to do it. Um, that being said, that's one side of the spectrum. The other side of the spectrum, which I think goes back to your question earlier of how did I get so good at the guitar? Um, and that that's maybe sort of talking to the people, the kids coming up these days. So I, I think, you know, certainly need to be uh, addressed as well as the sort of the older folks. And, and the truth of the matter is, um, if you're in a position with time, if you have years and years ahead of you, then neglect all the other things that everybody else tells you you should pay attention to. You know, I neglected um, 
school. <laughs> I neglected. I mean, the, I, I, I did well in school because I'm pretty smart. I got, I got a political science degree from the University of Oregon. The reason I majored in political science is because it was the thing that was most natural to me while I could sit on my butt and play the guitar. You know, so I would, I would put off my homework. I would Just put, funny, I studied environmental studies so I could play water polo in college. There you go. There you go. See, I mean, if you want to do something bad enough, you'll, mm. you'll f- find, your, find your path. You know, you got to ignore, I ignored, uh, is this actually paid off well for me? Because I, you know, you ignore girls. When girls want your attention and you'd rather play the guitar, you play the guitar. Because ultimately, if you get really good at guitar, the girls will appear. Uh, yes, <laughs> that's, yes. That's definitely. You're much smarter than I was at that, at that time. <laughs> and, and also, um, I, th- think, I think this is, I, I'm really the first generation that had to deal with this. Um, but I never played video games. I, ne- I neglected. I was happy to sit and watch my friends play video games, but I, n- I never played. Video- I still don't play video games. I think they're I think they're a great tool for the U.S. Army to train future killers. I think that's fantastic. Uh, <laughs> and I think that a lot of people have a lot of great time with it. Uh, but but ultimately, it's uh, it would have been amazingly debilitating. Uh, so are you knocking Wii Guitar and Guitar Hero? Uh, it's a different thing. It's uh, sorry, uh, sorry. That, uh, I don't, I'm trying to spread the love, not tear anyone down. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm just, well, absolutely. That's, that's another topic for another that's day. Right, right, exactly. I mean, if you, but if if that helps, you know, revitalize some of the great music that people would not have otherwise heard, then I'm all in favor for it. I support it. You know, if if somebody turns on Guitar Hero and hears Texas Flood and that turns them on to Stevie Ray, then. And right on. Yeah, we're we're, we're all winners. And, and and I'm just kidding about that too. I mean, there there are there are benefits, especially with people rehabbing. I mean, God forbid if anything ever happened to my hands and I couldn't play guitar anymore. Well, there's always Guitar Hero. Man. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You can move that stub. <laughs> yeah. See. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, play some you know ripping you know solo. Absolutely. All right. Here comes the lighting round. Okay, the lighting uh, round. So, and I do have to say, you know, you and I talked about this. I, I used to watch the Actors Studio just from an artistic standpoint it, it was very interesting to me that, that I, I'm interested in the process of art and all whatever it may be wh- whether it's athletics or beer or guitar and whatever it is and, and I thought uh, watching the actor studio with James Lipton I have to give credit where it's due his his final 10 questions were just brilliant it was just brilliant so this this is you know just fully ripping off James Lipton in the actor studio uh, with a with a slight little twist thanks James yeah yeah thank you very much you guys um, yeah so I, I'm just giving credit where it's due but I did rip this off so Hobbs what is your favorite word? Yes. What is your least favorite word? Least favorite word is no, incidentally. I'm sensing a theme here. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite sound? Uh, favorite sound uh, is a uh, uh, an E-flat being bent up to a D-flat on the B string from the sort of the, the 15th fret up. Um, with vibrato on top, so it's a, it's sound of the guitar. I'd have to play it for you. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, anyone listening to that, just just imagine it. And you'll, you'll get it. <laughs> just uh, listen to listen to uh, Jimmy playing any any blues in E, and you'll hear that sound. Okay, over. so that's we'll, my that's my sound. That's so, my sound for God. All right, so we'll we'll have to get a video of you playing that then, and uh, and just share it with it because I'm intrigued. Uh, what is your least favorite sound? Um. Oh wow, that's a tough one. I, I guess uh, I mean uh, in sort of the theme of opposites and uh, as as we're on, I would have to go with uh, just 
uncontrolled feedback from an amplifier. Controlled feedback, that's wonderful. Uncontrolled, no good. All right. So what turns you on? Oh, um, possibility. Possibility turns me on when, when I can shift uh, my mind from expectations to possibility that really turns me on hmm. i like that answer what turns you off uh victim consciousness and i find my own victim consciousness uh, kicks up a lot you know and any, anytime i say something's not my fault when you know it truly is and you know just everything that happens to us in this experience every person every step that i've made that brought me every step that was made that brought me to where I am so that I am experiencing what I'm experiencing right now was made by me. I am ultimately responsible for everything that happens in my life. And any moment that I start to go, that's not my fault. That's a victim consciousness that, that, uh, is a severe limitation to my creative power in this, in this sphere. So whining. Yeah. Whining. Uh, so, um, what profession other than yours would you like to try? I've always kind of wanted to be like a like an assassin, like born identity style. I think that would be super badass. Interesting. So, if you couldn't play music, what would you do? I would be a super epic spy assassin. Interesting. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> you know, uh, interesting change of directions on that one. Well, it's all about it's all about you know keeping it exciting. I mean, that's to me the the. Guitar is the next uh, guitarist is the next cowboy. I mean, probably software engineers feel like the same way these days. The ones who are on the cutting edge yeah. as well. You know, it's it's about taking something that is so totally wild and out of control and mastering. And it's the same thing. It's like a a, a guitarist who is in full control of a huge amplifier filled with crazy effects turned up to an excruciating volume but maintains absolute control it's the exact same as as a cowboy who has absolute control over this animal that is programmed to get you off and to kill you you know and to or to run away from you and to not let you on its back at all because that's what a predator does you know it's i mean that's why the that's why the knight and the cowboy is such an amazing archetype because it represents our sort of um uh I don't want to say victory, but sort of our transcendence of that animal nature and that our ability to control and manipulate. I mean, it's the same. That's what goes back to our earlier question about what's it, what is it about music? It's about, it's this amazing wild thing that you focus and, and into a few of its tiny little parts that gives you this amazing experience. And with that wild aspect that you get from the cowboy and from the night, it's about, it's about this focus, you know? And so, so, so that's, that's, that's really what it's all about. All right. If I, I tried to make it full circle, but I forgot what the question was. <laughs> no, anyway. If you could play music, what would you do? But oh, right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and that's what it's about. It's it's about that. That's it's about walking on the edge. It's about maintaining that focus in an, in an amazingly crazy environment. And if you were a super epic elite spy assassin, you would be still be tapping into that same spirit. You know. So ultimately, that's what I. So if I couldn't play music, I would want to be doing something that's very similar. You know. And the most the coolest thing I could is like maybe like a fighter pilot or something like that. But but, you know, that's, you're going to, you're kind of having to, you know, blow people up from afar. It's, I don't know. Never mind. <laughs> so, so you like the assassin thing minus the killing. 
Well, I mean, I don't know. It's, uh, I get that it goes into an entirely new existential sort of uh, discussion. But hey, there are seven billion people on the planet. Yeah. You know, what's one less? <laughs> Especially if they're a bad one. That's right. Especially if they're a bad one. Uh, so we and I get to decide, of course. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Who's the bad yes. one? Who's the good one? Yes, because if if you're uh, Hobbs, Hobbs, you know, Hobbs double O. You know, double three or <laughs> double <O> hogs, <laughs> then, uh, then you'll have a, a license to to chill and kill and thrill. Uh, so we we kind of talked about this too, but let's just kind of hit this one right on the head. What is your single motivating purpose? Your SMP. Uh, my single motivating motivating purpose is to be the absolute best guitar player on the planet. Uh, um, that that's sort of what it is, and. Um, has nothing to do with anybody else has no nothing to do with um putting anybody else down or maybe it does i i don't know but this is the the if i look at it in a complete brutally honest way with myself that you know may not necessarily be in line with our you know judeo christian values it's like i want to be the absolute best that i can be a and that is b you know so um i want i want to be the man you know, that's wow! And there's, <laughs> there's there's so much conversation that needs to occur after after that comment about you know what does that mean? What how will you know when you're there? But but for the sake of time, we're probably well, we're definitely well over an hour. But and it's that and it's that search for perfection. Yeah. And it's like I I can't do one without the other. That these are, nobody has achieved perfection yet. Um, they've performed their own sort of perfection. And my uh, chasing perfection uh, means to me that I want to be the absolute best. If I can chase perfection and I, if I can attain perfection, it means that I will be the best. So that's what I am shooting for. And so like the, uh, the quote on uh, U2's Rattle and Hum video, uh, it's a musical journey. Yeah, it's a musical journey. Yeah. So last question, what do you hope to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? When I arrive at the pearly gates, I want to hear God say... Um, hey Hobbs, you're headlining tonight, and uh, Jimmy and Stevie Ray want to know if they could sit in. <laughs> Solid answer. <laughs> Solid answer. Well, uh, that's enough, uh, or that's the the time we have for now. I'm uh, we're gonna take some uh, videos and get some uh, lessons from Hobbs Magaray. Did I pronounce that right? That's right. Right. Just okay. remember the Hobbs part. Yeah, it's just yeah, we're rebranding. It's just Hobbs. That's right. Just Hobbs Absolutely. the man, Hobbs the man from Hobbs the band that's and right. Hobbs the, the brand. Absolutely, the last name that's going to be just sort of minutia on Jeopardy one day. Yeah, the final Jeopardy. What was Hobbs's last name? Sweet, and I'll know the answer. I'm, like, I got that one nailed. That's right. You'll, your kids will be like, "How'd you know that?" Because daddy's daddy hung out with the man. That's why <laughs> I'm a daddy. Yeah. Right on. All right. So uh, thank you very much, Hobbs, and uh, and uh, we wish you well when you leave Central Oregon. But we hope you'll take a little Central Oregon to the Bay Area with you. And, hey, I got to park. I got to park my plane somewhere, man. I'll be back. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So you're welcome back in Central Oregon and sisters anytime. And killer. And, Thanks, uh, Jeremy. I, I had a great time. Great talk. Yeah, yeah, I enjoy uh, talking with you, and I'm glad we got it on tape this time. Absolutely, and I'm I'm excited to hear uh, the, what you come up with on, on these podcasts. I mean, you're, you're obviously going to interview some super cool people. Like, I hope you get Dennis McGregor on this pretty shortly. Oh man, that that guy is funny. 
Yeah. He's insightful and he's yeah. smart. Yeah. But he's funny. That's he would right. be a great interviewer. You, you can tell interviewee. him. That, you can tell him that uh, that I said he needs to practice playing fast more. <laughs> I will. <laughs> I will. I'll tell him you called him out on, right on. on air. All right, thank you very much. That's it for the Good Life Central Oregon, and uh, we're gonna uh, leave you with a, a song from uh, Hobbs and uh, and 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 by the way, we gotta throw in one last thing. What is your website? Hobbstheband.com. Hobbstheband.com. Also on Facebook. Please go check him out. You, you won't regret that you did. He's an amazing guitarist, and uh, and from what we understand, he's just going to keep on growing, and uh, hopefully we'll, you'll make it back in Central Oregon and headline some shows with Les Schwab. Yeah, damn right. Thanks, Jerry. Right on. Take care. Maybe no Stevie Ray